Got some yucky science coming up. Greetings, salutations. Yeah, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bitterness and Rage Show. I am Rob, your governor of bitterness, your mayor of rage. Welcome, everyone, to a special Monday night version of the Bitterness and Rage Show. There's nothing really special about it. just don't usually record on a Monday. Uh, We got a lot of stuff going on today. Lots of showgram for you. But first... Let's get to the How Can You Reach Out and Touch, the Bitterness and Rage Show part of the program. Uh, I'm on iTunes, as you know. Please subscribe, Bitterness and Rage Show on iTunes. Subscribe, leave me a nice comment, say some heartwarming things about me if you would. You can always find me on the Twitter box, at Bitter and Rage. You can email me all of your misgivings about this show at bitternessandrage@gmail.com. As I said, I got a lot of stuff, a steaming pile of show for you today. But first, let us start with, as I said at the top, some yucky science. This is about the space station, the International Space Station, as it were, and what exactly it is that they drink. Since it would be economically unfeasible to deliver pure drinking water that we get down here on terra firma, planet Earth, as it were, NASA lets their astronauts drink, amongst other things, their own urine. Yuck. That's why I said, man, science, it can be yucky. The um, ECLSS water recycling system developed at the MSFC. Man, that's a lot of initials. That would be the Marshall Space Flight Center. Will reclaim wastewaters. This is what the astronauts are drinking, ladies and gentlemen. Your tax dollars hard at work. Will reclaim wastewaters from the space shuttle's fuel cells, from urine, from oral hygiene and hand washing, and by condensing humidity from the air. Without such careful recycling, 40,000 pounds per year of water from Earth would be required to resupply a minimum of four crew members for the life of the station. Which sounds disgusting enough. Um, USA Today reported that NASA officials claim that the water from the system is cleaner than U.S. tap water. Well, of course, NASA officials are going to say it's cleaner than tap water. But I'm telling you, folks, uh, color me dehydrated if I'm on the space station. And if I'm on the space station, science has really scraped the bottom of the barrel for astronauts. All right. um, I want to start things off for the sports part of the program with... Um, the World Series, which concluded recently, um, the San Francisco Giants in seven games defeated the Kansas City Royals in a battle of two wild card teams. And I won't get into the hows and whys of why the Giants won, why the Royals lost. It was a heck of a series, especially Game Seven. I want to focus though on Madison Bumgarner, the World Series MVP with the MVP name of Bumgarner. Fantastic. Um, he pitched two games, or started two games, and he won both games. And then he came back, not on three days rest, but on two days rest, and pitched five innings, the last five innings. And his ERA for the World Series was something incredibly minuscule. It was below .5. I mean, it was less than a run a game, way less than a run a game. Now... What the lesson is that we should be taking away from the World Series is that Bruce Bochy, who is clearly a genius and clearly the smartest man in the room, even though he plays dumb, um, that he is the smartest man in the room. And many managers wouldn't have the cojones, wouldn't have the sack, as it were, to bring in a pitcher on two days rest to have him pitch not one, not two, not three. I'm going to sound like LeBron James again. Not four, but five innings of relief work. But Bruce Bochy would, because Bruce Bochy doesn't play by the canned, scripted rules that too often we find managers in baseball clinging to. And we'll get to a classic example of that in a moment. But Bumgarner comes in in a Game 7, and this is it. I mean, after Game 7, you'll have plenty of rests. Rest until February, pitchers and catchers report for spring training. I don't think there's much concern that he was going to do permanent damage to himself, and he'd be the first person to tell you if something was wrong with his arm, speaking of Madison Bumgarner, of course. 
not Bruce Bochy. Nobody cares if Bruce Bochy's arm is injured. He's not actually pitching, although it seemed like the way he was pitching Bumgarner that if Bumgarner wasn't available, maybe Bruce Bochy would have to pitch, but that's for another show, Grim. What it shows, again, is when managers stick to the the script, the playbook, the conventional wisdom, as it were, of baseball, you find yourself in the predicament, the pickle, that Matt Williams found himself in with taking Jordan Zimmerman out of that game um, in the, in the uh, playoffs. Excuse me while I go to the zoo for a moment again. When he takes Jordan Zimmerman out against the same uh, El Gigantes and ends up losing that game. Ends up losing that game in extra innings. Jordan Zimmerman pitched eight and two-thirds of shutout innings um, coming off of his no-hitter um, in the regular season. And he had two outs, at, hence the eight and two-thirds. And Williams takes him out because that's what he does. Because that situation called for a closer. Later on in the playoffs, he brings in the inexperienced Aaron Barrett because, again, that's what he did during the regular season. Well, sometimes you got to manage by the seat of your pants, folks. you got to go with your gut. You can't just say, well, this worked in the regular season, and so I'm going to use it now because, as I mentioned in my last show, the regular season is the regular season. It's 162 games, and the parameters and the paradigms and the models that you use during the 162 games don't often work in a condensed pressure cooker seven-game series. So if your gut tells you that your best pitcher can throw more innings and he's your best chance to win, you go with that. You don't say, well, during the regular season, this is the scenario for the closer or the scenario for a left-handed relief pitcher. Analytics is great, folks. And science, although we just discovered how yucky it can be, does have a place in sports. But sometimes you got to throw all that away and say, I got a feeling the feeling created by a manager like Bruce Bochy who's been to other World Series and won two World Series and now is only the 10th manager to win three World Series in five years. Oh, and uh, of the 10 managers, he's the only one not in the Hall of Fame. Not yet. So tear up the rule book sometimes, folks. In life and in baseball, you got to go with your gut instinct. you got to say... It's different. I have a feeling. And the managers that aren't afraid to go with their gut, to go with their instinct, those are the managers that end up in the Hall of Fame. Those are the managers that end up with the World Series rings. So Matt Williams and the other managers who find themselves on the outside looking in as the Giants hoist another Super Bowl, a Super Bowl, excuse me, another World Series trophy. Well, the San Francisco Giants may host a Super Bowl trophy if they're visiting the... Um, Seattle Seahawks, but those managers hoisting the World Series trophies, those are the ones that make the hard decisions, that realize that there are two seasons in baseball, folks, the regular season and the postseason, and ne'er the twains shall meet. All right, how about a guest? Would you like a guest? Would you like another voice on the show, Graham? Well, I got one for you right now. I am pleased to be joined once again on the as yet unsponsored Bitterness and Rage Show hotline by my good friend and now frequent contributor to the Bitterness and Rage Show, Chris Morelli, the managing editor of the Center County Gazette. Good evening, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Rob? I'm good. I hope you had a, uh, a pleasant Halloween. Did you go dressed as uh, your favorite Pittsburgh Pirate again? <laughs> no, I actually uh, took my daughter uh, trick-or-treating. She was dressed as Batgirl. I was dressed as myself, which... It's scary and it's on. It's all right these days. When you hit this age, uh, you, don't, you don't really need a mask anymore. Yes, we're we're, we're both in the forty-five-year-old category. Speaking of scary, and I might actually put this on my Twitter page. I don't know yet, but I found I was going through the archives, cleaning out my mom's basement, and I found the picture of you and I from Halloween. We were in college, where I was wearing the Batman suit. <laughs> yes, I remember. I remember the epic. The actual Michael Keaton, well, not the, the Michael Keaton Batman suit, but a variation of the Michael Keaton right. Batman suit. Right. That was a great costume. And I was driving, I had the uh, the dark brown Datsun at the time, and I drove through State College because <laughs> it looked black at night, you know, with the windows down, all being, trying to be all Batman-y. It was, um, it was my most pathetic moment, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all 
been there. You yeah. know, I dressed like a Pittsburgh Pirate last year trying to uh, relive my glory days of uh, Little League baseball again. No, it was um, it was scary. All right, um, let's get right down to business, shall we? Um, today, uh, the news broke, although it's been breaking now for a few days, that Joe Madden, ex of the Tampa Bay, and I still call them Tampa Bay Devil Rays, ex of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, now the, the manager of the Chicago Cubs, um, the whole thing seems a little fishy to me, the way he walked away from his contract, and then all of a sudden, he's now the manager of the Cubs. Um, are you okay with how this all went down? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how contracts work in Major League Baseball, but, you know, I think he, it sounded like he had had it with Tampa Bay management, needed a change of scenery, uh, ends up in Chicago, obviously, and, you know, Am I a fan of how this went down? No. Um, but I'm not sure if there's anything you can do about it. Right. I'm not a fan of it because he's, he's such a great manager, and now he's in my division with my Pirates. So that uh, right. that, that kind of scares me a little bit because this is a guy who is a you know, force to be reckoned with when it comes to uh, strategy. Right. Are you, um, are you worried about uh, how he's going to do in the first year or two, or do you think this is going to be – an incredibly long-term project. And will they give him the time? That's that's more important. Well, if I'm not mistaken, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the contract is a five-year deal. Right. So I think they're, they're giving him some time. It, look, the Cubs are not going to be rebuilt, you know, in, in a season. I think that it's going to take a, a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. And that division, let's face it, is, is pretty tough. I mean, right. you've got the Cardinals, you know, the, the, the Pirates, of course, the Reds. The Brewers. I mean, it's it's not it's not a cakewalk. So it's going to take them. You know, they might need all five years out of him to, to get where they want to be. But I think, as, as anyone will tell you, I can speak from experience when I say when I say if you've got the right guy in place, mm-hmm. that does wonders for you because for twenty years the Pirates had the wrong guy. At the time. Right. They bring they bring in Clint Hurdle, and not that they won anything of significance, but they stop the losing. They get to the playoffs two years in a row. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying Madden can do that overnight, but he's certainly the guy I think that you want in that position to, to kind of lead you out of the darkness if you're, if you're a Cubs fan. Right, and they've got, now they've got the right general manager in Theo Epstein. They've got the right manager in Joe Madden. They've got a lot of young players. And now the question is, will the ownership group, which has been almost their biggest enemy, are they going to, to cooperate? That's the real question. So you think this is a good move for the Cubs? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it, I, I think it's a great move. I, I think when you when you look down the list of, of who you want to hire to to lead your team, uh, you know Joe Madden certainly hops to the, the top of that list. So I don't know if there are many people that you want out there that that are going to be available. I mean, I don't. You know, a guy like Bruce Bochy obviously is locked up for life now because he's got right. a dynasty in San Francisco. Guys like that are are going to come, especially the Cubs. So. I think you've got the, the best available guy to lead you. Like you said, the question is, are they going to spend the money? Are they going to spend it in the right places right. to put the pieces in place for Madden to have success? Right. My, my fear for Joe Madden is that I mean, he's got a team in Chicago like he had with, with Tampa, which is a young team, a lot of homegrown talent. And then as those players get good, the ownership lets them walk. And... I just hope that Madden doesn't cultivate this team into something special and then all the good players and the expensive players, I guess more accurately, are going to walk. So it remains to be seen what kind of success he has. And again, if he doesn't have success, who do you blame? You know, do you blame Theo Epstein? Do you blame the management? Do you blame ownership? Yeah, and that's going to be, I think, you know, you have to wait and see how they fare. Um I don't know, the, you know what the talent they have. I, I don't know if they're loaded with talent. They have some young talent, like you mentioned. But it's gonna, they're going to have to give him a year or two to get things up and running, right. get things going. You know, going in his direction. He's a, he's a different. He's got a different style. Um, so it's going to be an adjustment, I think, for for the Cubs players and the, and the talent that's in the minors. Obviously, that are the, the young folks will be coming up. But uh, no, I, I like what they're doing. I, I think it's. You look at that division, and it's just loaded with uh, managerial talent. There's no question about it. Right. It's going to be interesting to see uh, St. Louis and Pittsburgh and Milwaukee and now Chicago. Afford, you know, having more than just a couple teams at the top of that division should be interesting. Unless, of course, as you are, 
you're a pirate fan. Um, let's switch gears now for a second. I, I said at the beginning that, and people have heard this show before, know that you and I went to college together. And when we went to school, uh, one of the big rivalries, if you can call it a rivalry, was the Maryland-Penn State game that pretty much Maryland owned Penn State. And in fact, when we went there and Maryland tied Penn State, uh, people at Penn State celebrated like they just won the national championship because it had been one time in 30-plus years that they hadn't lost. And then that 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 rivalry went dormant for a while. Now that they're back, they're both in the Big Ten, they started playing over the weekend, and Maryland came out on top again, just like old times. But my question to you is this, because in Maryland, this game didn't have any more juice or any more sizzles than any other game. But you're, again, someone who lives out there in, in Penn State country. What kind of juice or sizzle or, or impact did this game have for you all? Well, I, I think, if, you know, you, you talk about full-time rivalries, and certainly with Maryland and Rutgers in the Big Ten, uh, that adds a little bit of juice to it because those are old school. For, for people that grew up as Penn State, watching Penn State play as an independent, we were used to seeing, you know, Boston College and Pitt and Maryland and Rutgers on the schedule, and then they kind of fell off the schedule. But I think what you've seen this year are two pretty good games. You know, when Penn State went to Rutgers, that was a close ball game to the very end. And then, obviously, this weekend, uh, Maryland pulled out uh, a 20-19 victory over Penn State. I think it's their second in the series. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the thing that's going to fuel the fire here with the rivalry is the fact that Maryland came out this week and didn't refuse to shake Penn State's hand at the coin toss. Uh, and there was a lot of talk up here in Happy Valley about how it was classless and you know, do that, you know, behave that way. And then today the Big Ten came out and, uh, and they fined Maryland and they uh, publicly reprimanded uh, Randy Edsel, that coach. So, you know, things like that, you know, generate interest and generate kind of fuel. But uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it's going to be a work in progress as far as is this going to rekindle the rivalry. I don't know if you can do that in one season. But, again, we've had two pretty good games between Penn State and Rutgers and Penn State and Maryland. So, it's, uh, hey, look, if, if you're trying to start a rivalry with someone relatively close, Maryland or Rutgers, uh, get close games and, and the handshake stuff, that's the way to do it. And, and again, uh, there's history between Penn State and Maryland. Now, I know in Maryland that whole handshake thing, not surprisingly, didn't get nearly the same uh, scorched earth coverage that you just described. Do you think it's just much ado about nothing in that big deal? Some yeah. college kids didn't shake hands with other college kids? I really do. I think if you talk about a non-issue, I just, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't understand why it's a big deal. I mean, I understand Penn State comes out the coin toss, they put their hands out, Maryland snubs them. You know, we had some, we had a, we had some pre-game shenanigans between the teams. Right. Uh, I think a, a ref got pushed. But, you know, at the end of the day, where is it, show me, show me the rule book where it's written that you have to shake hands before the game, or you have to say a prayer together after the game. I mean, all this stuff, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I think it's I think it's a lot of malarkey, to be honest. I, you know, I, I watch my kids play soccer, and certainly we do a handshake line at the end of the game, and, and I get all that, but, you know, sometimes there's bad blood there, and maybe there's not bad blood between Penn State and Maryland, not yet anyway, but, you know, if they don't want to shake your hand, I don't think it should set off a, a pregame fight or I think the, the Big Ten fine. The Big Ten has a lot of more problems to deal with than handshakes. I don't I don't think the fine is necessary. If you want to reprimand the guy publicly, that's that's fine. Do that. But again, much to do about nothing. The media looking for a story and they've got one in the handshake and up here it's oh my gosh, the headline I think in the Daily Collegian was Shake Gate today. So <laughs> Uh, you know, all kind of crazy stuff. But well, it, to me, it's a non-issue. It's not really a big deal, and let it go and move on. Right now, what about your paper? How did you cover Handshake Gate, <laughs> or did you? Well, to, to be honest with you, with with the weekly cycle, we don't really focus too much on the previous week. We look ahead to next week. Right. So we, we come out. We publish on Wednesday. We're on the streets on Thursday. So we'll, we'll certainly touch on the, the, the Maryland game and. And I mention it, I do a little feature called Good, Bad, and Ugly, and I mention it there as part of the bad. Right. But overall, we're not going to talk about it too much. We're already looking ahead to, to the rest of the schedule. I mean, Penn State, the big story with Penn State is, 
you know, they got the sanctions lifted. They are talking about bowls, and now they, they aren't bowl eligible yet. And they've right. lost four straight. So they've got bigger bigger things to worry about than, than uh, opposing teams shaking their hands. Right. That was that was the big story with the Maryland game was that Maryland is now bowl eligible. So it was more than just the um, the handshake. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what kind of impact it has and if it fuels the rivalry. I'm staying with, with college football and the bowl games, which, again, the bowls are rendered completely meaningless, both with the BCS and with the college football playoff. But this year we have the playoff, and last Tuesday the first, I guess, rankings uh, for the Final Four came out. You had um, Mississippi State number one. You have Florida State number two. You had Auburn three and Ole Miss four. This weekend Auburn knocked off Ole Miss, and the rankings come out tomorrow the new rankings. So let me ask you two questions. Do you like having these rankings coming out each and every week? And what do you think, if you had to guess, um, will be the the shakeup coming tomorrow? Do you think Oregon slips in? Um, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I look, I guess a play, with the playoff, any system is better than what we had before, right? So we're going right. to a fourteen playoff, and I think that's a step in the right direction. I still, I still think it needs work, and I think you can improve upon it. My, in my ideal world, I think, and I know it would take it would take more time, it would take a few more weeks, but I'd like to see maybe eight teams get in. I, I know that would be a, a massive undertaking as far as time and travel and all that stuff. Right. But um, no, as far as the the rankings every week, I don't know that you need them every week. Um, but I, but look, college football is a monster, it generates interest, it gets people talking, uh, so I totally understand why they do it, and people are going to try to lobby for their team, and you certainly can't let it go until the very last you know, week of the regular season and say, oh, here, oh by the way, here are the rankings. Right. Uh, as far as who slides in, I, I do like uh, Oregon, I think uh, Marcus Mariota is a, is, a, is a true talent. When you look up and down their schedule, they're, they're impressive. I watched them several times, even though, you know, their time zone's not exactly viewer-friendly for us. Right. Uh, you know, I've watched them several times, and they're impressive to me, what they're able to do. I, I, I think they slide in there, and I think they've got a great fan base that will travel the country to go to these playoff games. So right. uh, I, I could totally see them, them winding up in that Final Four. But there's a lot of season left, and what we're seeing now is these teams are kind of starting to eat each other alive. And you're going to have the situation in the Big Ten this week where Ohio State, Michigan State play, and whoever loses that one is, is out of the playoff picture. So there are big games each and every week, and that's kind of what makes this exciting. Now, you know, you don't have to be undefe- you don't have to finish undefeated to play for a title. You can have a loss. Right. And at some point down the road, you might be able to have two losses right. to play for a national championship. I was going to say that it used they were there's there's worry about minimizing the regular season, but I think it's done just the opposite. In fact, now it used to be when a team would lose a game, they were done. Their their chance of winning the national championship uh, was finished, and now losing a game means almost nothing. You could in fact have a team with two losses potentially sneak into the top four. So, if nothing else, that's certainly the improvement um, over the BCS from. Last year, and we'll see. Hopefully, they get. I'd like to see them personally get to six teams and have the top two of the bye, and then have the final four, just for more intrigue and you know, chance for more teams to get involved. Absolutely, you know, I think you know a lot of people bemoaned uh, Major League Baseball when they added the wild card, but look what that's done. That's generated excitement, and, and this year you had two wild card teams uh, make the World Series. So I think uh, adding a team or two. You know, blowing this up to six to eight, I think I don't know that you can go any bigger than eight um, personally because of the, the time constraints. And one thing that we never mentioned is these kids are still college students. You know, and they they still have to go to class supposedly <laughs> and take tests and things like that. So, uh, no, I, I love having a playoff. I think you're right. You're spot on when you say you can have that loss, still play for a title. That's huge because. Right. So many times in the past, a team would lose, and you'd be like, well, they should be playing. They're, they're playing their best ball at the end of the year, but because they had that loss, it killed them. So I'm excited to see how all this plays out, to be honest with you. I think it's uh, it's an exciting time to be a, a college football fan. Right, and, and here's here's the cheap shot of the day. Um, they are going to school during this time, unless, of course, they attend the University of North Carolina. Bada bing. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. That was, that was a great line. You're absolutely. Yeah. Well, they are attending classes, right? They're just fake classes. Right. No, they they sign up for classes and they don't have to show up and they they recommend to the academic people what grade they want and need. So it's a perfect system. Um, yeah. Hey. Let me let me get you out of here on this. Talking again, something near and dear to your heart. Um, ben Roethlisberger is throwing as many touchdowns in two games as some people will throw all season. And I don't want to say they came out of nowhere because it's the Steelers. They're always good. But um, all of a sudden, where is this coming from? All, what what has happened up there in central Pennsylvania to make you know Ben Roethlisberger into, quite frankly, Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a mystery to me. And uh, a life, you know I'm a lifelong Steeler fan. Um, I don't know that I've ever experienced a season of such lows and then highs. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, they lose to Tampa. They struggle against Jacksonville. They get blown out at Cleveland. And I'm ready to pack it in. But these past two weeks, you can argue that Ben Roethlisberger has played the best ball of his life in the past two weeks. Now, I guess the question is, how is this happening? I don't know. Uh, the play calling, I think, is a little different. At least it looks different to me. They're not running as many bubble screens, uh, which Todd Ailey seems to be in love with. Um, you know, they're letting, and it's a cliche, and you'll hear this all on, on ESPN, all the talking heads saying it, they're letting Ben be Ben. And right. I think that's what he needs to do. He, you know, we saw, especially there was one play against Indy where he looked like he was sacked for good, uh, going down, he scrambles out of it, throws a touchdown pass to Antonio Brown. Um, last night, I think, you know, they, the Ravens sacked him three consecutive plays, he gets cheap-shotted, and then he comes to life. So... Uh, can they can they sustain this? No, he's not going to throw six touchdowns every week. But it's been fun to watch. Uh, if he continues to play at a high level, you know, if he can throw two or three touchdowns a week, uh, I think they've got a shot. Obviously, so there's there's a whole lot of season left. They tend to play down to the competition, which is why games with the Jets and with Tennessee frighten me as a Steeler fan. But Again, I'm sucked in. I'm pulled in like the soap opera. I'm going to be watching each and every week to see how they do. Right. And uh, I'm not packing it in just yet because when you put together two performances like he has in the past two weeks, anything's possible. So we'll see where this all ends. And, and chances are, you know, that they, they're not playing for another for the seventh ring. But right now, the way they're playing, I do like their chances in the division. I think they got a, a genuine shot. Hey, uh, don't look now, but with Cleveland at five and three, that your division. <laughs> who th- who'd have thought this would be true at the beginning of the year? Your division could be the toughest division in football. I mean, with Absolutely. those teams. I mean, who'd yeah, have thought it? It's, it's, it's crazy. You've got Baltimore in last place with a 5-4 and four record. Right. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. And, and the Steelers have two huge games left against first-place Cincinnati. So that's going to determine a lot of it. But, again, they've got a bye coming up. They get, hopefully they get you know rested during that. Get the, the banged up guys healthy, um, but they're they're playing right now at a high level. If they can maintain this, they certainly absolutely have a chance to win that division. Right. And last night during at halftime, they showed the uh, the ceremony of the retired Mean Joe Green's number seventy five. Right. Seventy five. Right. Correct. Yep, now, 75. now, and I'm watching this. And the the thing that that struck me as odd was. In the, in the history of, of Steeler greats, and there's been a, many of them, I mean, they, you guys should have your own Hall of Fame wing for all the Steelers, but you've only retired one other number, number 70 for Ernie Stoutner, which I'm, I'm sure many people in Steeler country have heard of. He's not exactly a household name. So why wait so long, and why mean Joe Green as opposed to all the other candidates that could have had? Do you have any insight on yeah. that? No insight. I know for a long time the Rooney's had said they're not going to retire numbers because there were so many greats, as you mentioned, so many in the Hall of Fame. How do you determine who, whose number gets retired? Um, but I think this is going to, now that you retired a, a one from the 70s, me being Joe Green, I think it's opened the floodgates for others. And obviously guys like Frank O'Harris and Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth. I mean, you could go, you have a, a laundry list of players, Mel Blunt, Elsie Greenwood, uh, right. Andy Russell, Rocky Blyer. I the, mean, all those guys from those 70s. The 90s. Jacks. Don't forget the Jacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jack and Jack Lambert, exactly. Um, you know, you have all those guys. And then you have current, uh, not current players, but 
current era players like Heinz Ward and Jerome Bettis. I, you know, right. I, I guess if they do this over time, I suppose it's okay. The rumor is the next guy to go is going to be Franco Harris. Right. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that decision, but you know, certainly he's he has one of, if not the most famous plays in NFL history. It's tough. And, you know, and his, his running rushing numbers aren't too shabby either, so it's no. tough to argue with that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really have any insight as to why they don't. I think you're going to start to see it happen a little more often, but they're going to have to draw a line somewhere because you there there's probably between twelve and fourteen numbers you could retire. Right, and unless the NFL lets the Steelers go to triple digits on the back of their jerseys, you're going to have to draw the line somewhere. That's right. So. Triple digits are negative numbers. Right. All right. Um, always a pleasure talking to you. More great contributions to the show. I appreciate it as always. Um, hopefully we can call you back again, maybe when the playoffs start. Absolutely. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and um, enjoy Election Day tomorrow. <laughs> thank you. All right. Talk to you later. More great stuff from Chris Morelli. Uh, I'm going to have to start calling this the Bitterness and Rage and Morelli show soon because that, I think, is his third appearance. And we love when he's on the show. He always has some good things to say. Always very entertaining. I want to continue with the entertainment, speaking of entertaining, talking about old Robert Griffin III, a man who loves to be talked about, that's for sure. A man who's not afraid of hearing his own name being mentioned. Just don't say anything negative because they'll call you a hater on his Twitter machine. Um, there was a lot of hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing in the Washington area, and maybe nationally, but certainly in the Washington area, the area that I'm most familiar with. And I'm not calling it the DMV, by the way. It's the D.C. area. Those of you that call it the DMV ought to be hitting the head with a snow shovel each time you call it the DMV. But the hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing was about whether or not he should have started the game yesterday against the Vikings, a game which the Redskins ultimately lost, although fair to be to be fair, the loss was not due to anything that Robert Griffin did. It was due to a lack of uh, defensive prowess, I guess. The defense let Griffin down. Griffin wasn't perfect. He had some uh, some bad throws, made some bad decisions. But again, the Redskins don't lose because of Robert Griffin III. But the hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing was about whether he should have started. Do you let him start this game or do you wait for two weeks, this the Vikings game, then the bye week, and have them start against the woeful uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are have won one game, I believe, this season. Um, in the wake of that huge Monday night win over Dallas that nobody saw coming, um, led by Colt McCoy, the unheralded Colt McCoy, third-string quarterback Colt McCoy, in the wake of the joy of that victory... I believe maybe 24 hours had gone by that the Redskins let their fans enjoy and roll around in and bathe themselves in that victory. Maybe 24 hours before the word got out that the Redskins were planning on starting Colt McCoy, excuse me, starting Robert Griffin III over Colt McCoy, which gets me to thinking, why? Why exactly? And who's pulling the strings on this one. And I'm going to give you a couple theories, a couple conspiracy theories. One for me and one for my my friend Taylor, who I work with in my other life. But I'll give you mine first because it's mine and if you hate it, um, you know, under something better. I believe that little Danny Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, lays awake at night and wants two things out of his life. He wants the Redskins to win another Super Bowl trophy, not a World Series trophy like I mentioned earlier, but a World a uh, Super Bowl trophy. And he desperately wants to be Jerry Jones. Hopefully not the plastic surgery, um, yellowish teeth Jerry Jones, but the Jerry Jones that allows himself to be interviewed during a game, the Jerry Jones that stands on the sidelines and whispers into his coach, coach's ear and says, uh, Jason, I want you to start Tony Romo. That was my extremely bad Jerry Jones impersonation. I do a lot of things bad, but impersonations takes the um, the top of that list. So, actually, that was my interpretation of Jerry Jones, not so much my impression. That was my artist's interpretation of my impressionist interpretation, if you will, of Jerry Jones. He wants to be that guy. And he sees Jerry Jones rushing... Tony Romo back onto the field 
after it turns out, by the way, that he broke two bones in his back. Yeesh. And he's probably all hepped up on goofballs at that point going back onto the field. But he wants that kind of spotlight. He wants to be the man. Since he can't put on a helmet and play, he wants to really make it a we sort of factor, a his team kind of factor. And so he sees Jerry Jones putting Tony Romo on the field, and he thinks, well, hey, that's a great idea. That's the way out to run my team with as much visibility as possible. And he has hitched his wagon, little Danny Snyder, LDS, has hitched his wagon to the Robert Griffin the third star. And that's where the money's coming from. That puts butts in the seats, eyes on the TV, and all those other cliches. And he thinks to himself, i got to get this guy back on the field. And i got to get him back on the field now. We've seen this movie before. And you'll pardon us for this kind of skepticism, which we'll get to in a moment. But we've seen this before, where Griffin comes back too early despite, you know, words to the contrary, advice to the contrary. He's medically cleared. He convinces himself he's ready to play. But is he? Is it really the best decision? He's rushed out in the field last year to, to start the 2013 season. And Shanahan's gone. Mike Shanahan, former coach, is gone. So this time... When you rush him back, you can't blame Mike Shanahan. So Shanahan's gone. Both Shanahan's, Mike Shanahan, offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan, both gone. And yet we see the same thing again. Here comes Griffin trotting out into the field far before anybody thinks he's ready. And I don't think Griffin was as aggressive in pushing himself and bullying the team into letting him play like he was at the beginning of the 2013 season. But if the Shanahan's are gone, what remains other than Griffin? Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. So it's a you can say, well, Dan Snyder isn't the meddlesome owner he used to be, and why are we blaming him for Griffin playing too early? But as I said, my skepticism runs wild with this guy, that he's laid down a history for us that would suggest that when these bad decisions are made, that it's not so far-fetched to think it comes from the top. It's not too far-fetched to think that Dan Snyder, like Jerry Jones, is whispering in the ear of Jay Gruden like he whispered in the ear of of Jason Garrett and saying, put Griffin in. It's time. If Tony Romo can come back on the field on national television with two bones broken in his back, then our guy can come out in the field because people are going to watch because we want the Redskins to have a buzz about them. Never mind the negative buzzes about the name and everything else. We like this to be a positive buzz. And um, when we get to the Dope of the Week segment, spoiler alert, it's some more negative buzz for the storied Burgundy and Gold. My, my storied Burgundy and Gold franchise. So that's one theory, that it was Snyder's decision to rush him back out in the field. And it's just more, it's business as usual up there at uh, Ashburn, where the Redskins' offices are. The second conspiracy theory comes from my friend Taylor, and I think this one actually is some merit to it. Colt McCoy went out and played a hell of a game. He wasn't spectacular, but he wasn't just a game manager. He threw an interception, sure, um, but for the most part, when the team needed him in the second half and on third downs and critical plays, McCoy was there. He did a good job of leading the team, and, and, and a lot of that victory on Monday you can attribute to his play, both with his arm and his legs. When Cousins, Kirk Cousins was there throwing one pickle after another to members of the other team, Griffin was like, there's no rush because I'm not losing my job when this dope is finished. Um, I believe actually Kirk Cousins is still throwing interceptions. He's wearing number eight, the ghost of Rex Grossman passed. So there's no threat there from Kirk Cousins. Then he sees, then Griffin sees Colt McCoy running out into the field. He throws one interception, but it's not a killer interception. He leads the team to its biggest victory of the season on Monday night national television, and it becomes the Colt McCoy show. And now Griffin, who we know to be very paranoid and incredibly sensitive, starts to think, hey, this guy could take my job. This guy's a threat. He wasn't supposed to play this well. He's the third stringer. So now, here's the dilemma. You let him go out and play another game? 
you let him, you let more talk throughout the nation's capital and, and around the nation about whether or not Colt McCoy should be playing? Or do you put an end to that if you're Griffin and say, I'm going back in. Put me back in, coach. I'm ready to play. Because this guy is a real threat. Instead of looking over my shoulder at Kirk Cousins, maybe I should have been looking over my shoulder at Colt McCoy. Perhaps. So maybe that's the reason why there was such a rush to get him back on the field, because there is this fear that former Cleveland Brown, journeyman Colt McCoy, was going to take his job. Look, we know that's not going to happen. We know the upside on Griffin is far bigger than the upside on Colt McCoy. But maybe fear, maybe just straight-up paranoia, fear, insecurity drove Griffin back into the field. Whatever the reason was, we have lots to talk about as the Redskins go into their bye week, and we'll see how he does against Tampa, and we'll see how the team does going forward because they have to find out in Redskins country who their quarterback is because we still don't know. The, the future of the Washington Redskins could be playing college, could be playing their games on Saturdays, as the cliche goes. All right, um... Let's end on a, little, on a happy, sort of a weird note before we get to the QSR spotlight. The Milwaukee Brewers, who clearly are desperate for any sort of positive attention, clearly are desperate for fans, done something which, you know, I don't know about this. I don't know if it's nutty, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers, have announced a timeless ticket promotion. And one, I want to thank my, my good buddy, Pat Sakura for bringing this one to my attention. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers are offering a timeless ticket that guarantees a ticket to one future Brewers home game, any game, including the postseason. So whether it be opening day or the seventh game of the World Series, which <laughs> that ticket better be, have a real lifetime guarantee on if you're asking people to wait until they get to a game seven of the world series it better be a lifetime ticket that you can pass on to your heirs it's a thousand dollars and only a thousand of them will be produced each ticket comes with an individually numbered or each ticket is individually numbered comes with a certificate of authenticity and is packaged in a specially designed gift box each ticket is authenticated by major league baseball uh the ticket weighs approximately one pound it's six inches by three inches Sits in a wooden display base, and the ticket comes with a brass engraved ticket, the actual ticket to the game. So you get the ticket, and then you get a brass sculpture of the same ticket that you can prominently display on your desk to proudly display and proudly to tell everybody, I've got a big pile of disposable income, and I choose to use it on the Milwaukee Brewers Golden Ticket promotion. I don't know, folks. Um... Are more teams going to be doing this? Who knows? Seems like an interesting idea. But I wonder if a team that finds itself in the postseason a lot would do the same thing. Because, again, it's a ticket to any game. For the thousand people that buy this ticket, um, they can go to any game they want. So, again, I'm, I'm at a loss. I don't know. Do I like it? Don't like it? I think it's it's unique. Let's leave it at that. But I'm curious to see if other sports organizations, other baseball teams, or who knows, other sports, football, hockey, basketball, if they do the same thing. Um, especially teams that find themselves in the postseason a lot. But hey, it's only a thousand tickets, and what's one less uh, seat available? Um, who knows? Who knows? Interesting idea. Let's see if other, other clubs follow suit. That brings us to the QSR Spotlight, folks. As always, the QSR Spotlight is a uh, sponsorship, co-sponsored, I guess. Well, this is sponsorship is the right word. Brought to you by the Junk Food Guy. Um, you can follow the Junk Food Guy at Junk Food Guy on Twitter. You can check out his blog at junkfoodguy.com. And you can go to iTunes and check out the Nosh Show. That's his podcast. Go ahead, subscribe to it, folks. Say something nice about it. Um, and when you say something nice about the Nas show, if you want to mention the Bitterness and Rage show, I certainly won't stand in the way. All right, um, let's see. Auntie Anne's. If you live in Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, or Texas, um, lucky you. And not just because those are fine states to live in, but Auntie Anne's is currently testing new cheddar cheese stuffed pretzel nuggets now through Thanksgiving. 
they'll be testing those in those various states that I mentioned. So all I can say to Auntie Anne is get those here quickly. Test them. As far as I'm concerned, they already passed the test, so get them out nationwide, Auntie Anne's. Uh, Burger King has announced they'll be bringing the Whopper to India. Let me say that again, because it's such an enjoyable sentence. Burger King just announced they'll be bringing the Whopper to India. Now, um, uh, before you ask, well, you can't make beef Whoppers in India. Wouldn't that be some sort of violation of religious principles? And it would be. So the three new flavors of Whopper for Burger King India, chicken, makes sense, a veggie Whopper, which sounds nauseating, and a mutton Whopper to, quote, the great movie Princess Bride, when the mutton is nice and lean with some lettuce and tomato, a mutton Whopper. So if you find yourself in India desiring some fast food, um, go grab yourself a mutton Whopper. M&M's is bringing back after a decade hiatus, and I wonder what took him so long to realize how wonderful these are. M&M's crispy. So crispy M&M's are coming back. They're going to be back and better than ever to quote somebody else I've heard on the radio once in a while. Back and better than ever after a 10-year hiatus. What took you so long, M&M's? What else are they going to bring back? Uh, Arby's on October 31st had the greatest promotion a man could ask for. In fact, when I was running through this earlier today, I almost cried reading about this. Arby's had a free bacon promotion on Halloween. And it's not a trick. And you don't have to dress up like a burrito or dressed up like a cow. You just had to walk into Arby's and they gave you free bacon. Okay, I'm sorry, you had to say trick or meat. Nah, <laughs> trick or meat. No, but you really did have to say that. And you got free bacon. I mean, come on. Free bacon. I'm just going to, you know what? Just let that sink in for a second. Free bacon. All right. Um, lastly, uh, Pizza Hut. This is from foodbeast.com. There's some secret pizzas in the works at Pizza Hut. And nobody knows what those new pizzas are and what those new products are. But on September 25th, 2014, um, the product names were filed, I guess, with the trademark office, uh, the government trademark office. The filing names were registered. So let's we can only speculate what wonderful things Pizza Hut has in store with these names. Old Fashioned Meat Brawl. Again, these are the names of new pizzas that are registered with the government trademark office. Old Fashioned Meat Brawl, The Garden Party, Cockadoodle Bacon, that's my personal favorite, Cockadoodle Bacon, Giddy Up Barbecue Chicken, Pretzel Piggy, Cherry Pepper Bombshell, Seven Alarm Fire, which sounds horrifyingly awful, and Hot and Twisted. So, Pizza Hut's cooking up something for you, and we can only wait, maybe after the first of the year, who knows, to see what those pizza creations might be. All right, that brings us to the dope of the week, folks. And it's some more fallout from the Cowboys' loss to the Redskins on Monday Night Football last week. And it's just more about the black cloud that hangs over the Washington Redskins franchise. And I think sometimes that black cloud is created by the franchise itself. When the game was over, ESPN was interviewing Colt McCoy, and this was while the cameras are still rolling in front of, you know, a nationwide audience, millions and millions of people. The um, host, Sutcliffe, from uh, ESPN Deportes was standing there while ESPN, while the, the regular network ESPN was interviewing Colt McCoy. And they wanted to get a few questions in for their network. I guess he's the man of the hour, Colt McCoy, and he's standing right there. And the reporter from ESPN Deportes is standing right next to him, a little off screen. And he comes in. And as he's about to ask some questions to Colt McCoy, the uh, Redskins PR director, Tony Wiley, comes and doesn't just politely tap the reporter on the shoulder and say, we can't, he can't interview. Now he has to go back into the locker room. He grabs him away, much to the chagrin of the ESPN Deportes reporter, much to the chagrin of Sutcliffe. And Sutcliffe is trying to ask a few questions, and 
with his big mug, Tony Wiley's big mug on the TV, yells, no means no, and rushes off with Colt McCoy in tow. Now, I have no idea what NFL rules are, what the Redskins rules are, why Colt McCoy couldn't stay for the interview, what the protocols are, and I don't care, quite frankly. But, you know, the public relations director, your job, your only job, is to ensure that your franchise looks good, that your organization looks good, that you put the best foot forward, that you put the organization's best foot forward. Not, And I don't know that any of that, and I don't do public relations for a living, but I'm fairly certain that public relations does not include making you and your organization look like a petulant child on national television with all the goodwill you just built up by beating your arch rival on the field. Off the field, you look at the same group of dopes and the same group of clowns and inmates running the asylum that everyone thinks you do. You've just given credence to the rest of the world that points at the Redskins organization and laughs and mocks it and says this is an amateur hour sort of organization. So whatever the reason was that Colt McCoy couldn't be interviewed, whatever problem Tony Wiley had with the interview process and with Colt McCoy after the ESPN interview, it could have been done off camera. It could have been done much more subtly, quietly, politely. But grabbing Colt McCoy, literally grabbing him, pushing the ESPN Deportes reporter out of the way and yelling, no means no, which now the players in the locker room are mocking at every opportunity. That just looks bad. I mean, that looks really, really bad. And this is not a time when the Redskins can afford any more negative publicity because they've certainly gotten enough negative publicity to last three, four, five lifetimes. So, Tony Wiley, Redskins director of bad public relations you congratulations you sir are the bitterness and rage show dope of the week all right folks it was another blast look at the time the time just goes by so quickly when you're the guy with the microphone isn't it great um thank you all for listening um once again let me tell you how you can find me to tell me how great you spent you thought spending this last hour with me was um you can go to iTunes. You can subscribe to the Bitterness and Rage show and leave me a nice comment when you do, please. A lot of stars. The more stars, the better, folks. Um, at Bitter and Rage on the Twitter box. Bitternessandrage at gmail.com is where you can find me. Reach out and touch me, folks. Not literally, because I'm a married man, happily married, I might add. Uh, but you can reach out and touch me metaphorically in a professional, platonic way at any of the above and aforementioned places. Uh, folks, as always, the Bitterness and Rage show is a Miyasoti Cologne production, and see you on the other side, Ray. Right?